Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When Salvador Ramos killed 19 students and two teachers during his shooting spree on Tuesday, he allegedly posted disturbing images online prior to carrying out the senseless attack. Now, according to reports, an Instagram account connected to Ramos featured disturbing photos. That account has since been taken down. It was just last week that New York's Attorney General, Letitia James, announced that her office was investigating social media companies after another mass shooter had used the online platforms to plan, promote, and stream a massacre in a Buffalo grocery store that left 10 dead. James said her office would investigate Twitch, 4chan, 8chan, and Discord, along with other platforms that the shooter used to amplify the attack. Now, the United States, some have argued, remains so politically divided, the social media platforms that were once about friendly discussions have evolved into very much into anti-social networks where people now find themselves in echo chambers that support their opinions and views. Joining us now to discuss social media and whether it enables mass shootings is Meredith Gansner. She is a professor of psychiatry, development, and social media at Harvard University. Professor Gansner, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a very big topic, uh, an ever-evolving topic as well. Um, can social media enable mass shootings um, uh, in the United States and around the world? Is it, are we seeing that? So I think it's a very important question to ask. And I think we've seen in the media that there tends to be a lot of articles around social media being linked to adverse mental health outcomes. Um, And I I always want to make sure that people know uh, all the studies that we have done so far, looking at the connection between adverse mental health outcomes and uh, social media, use of social media, um, they're largely cross-sectional, which means that they're capturing one point in time, um, saying that kids at that one point in time who spend more time on social media tend to be more at risk for things like depression, anxiety, and aggression towards self and others. However, those studies don't tend to tell us the direction of that relationship, right? They just tell us what is happening at that one point in time. So we don't actually have any studies that prove what we call causality, that say that social media itself is the cause of violent behavior. Uh, My research uh, that I've done for the last decade has tried to increasingly clarify the nature of the relationship sort of in the moment between social media and Internet use and mood symptoms. And we've actually found that, by and large, uh, the kids that I treat, so kids who tend to have anxiety and depression, actually tend to, when they're feeling depressed and anxious, um, they tend to go, be more likely to go online and they more likely to have their mood symptoms get better after increased engagement with their phones and screens um, rather than causing a worsening of symptoms. And so I, I think it really highlights the fact that maybe it's those kids who are already struggling that are more likely to spend more time online on social media. That said... Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that there are many ways in which social media can, in fact, enable uh, people who might be already at risk of violent behavior. 
uh, kids who tend to be, as we've seen in these shootings, um, at risk of violent behavior may be more likely to be loners, to be disconnected from youth in, in their peer groups. Uh, and we know that if they're feeling, you know, down and, and sad, they may then go online and then look for connection, as is normal for many teenagers. And unfortunately, many of these teenagers will then turn to the kind of first source of connection that is offered to them, which could very well be an extremist website or an extremist group um, that is very adept at you know, reaching out to these youth, um, encouraging very extremist viewpoints, encouraging racist viewpoints, um, and sort of, as you said, kind of putting them in an echo chamber where all that is talked about is the fact that they they need to be angry. They need to get angry. Their mortality, which is called um, mortality salience, their mortality is at risk. And so they become more and more aware of the fact that I need to protect myself. I need to do something. And they're really, they lose access to anyone else that can start to, to help them, maybe guide them away from those behaviors and those thoughts. And then, you know, that before they know it, there's this tendency to kind of start fantasizing about, you know, li- what life could be like and I can get engaged in these violent activities and, I, you know, I could do something that my community online would be proud of. Um, and then that, I think that sort of online behavior is what really kind of triggers a, a fall kind of into subsequent violent behavior. So we're not really saying it's the social media itself. I think many healthy youth can use social media without mm-hmm. becoming violent, but there are at-risk youth out there for whom social media can then encourage violent behavior. So sense. what do we as parents or as a society do to help these kids? Because as you say, they may be loners already, and the use of social media takes them down a different type of rabbit hole. Uh, how do we help these kids? That's a great question. Um, I know it's. I want to say that there are certainly uh, kind of the level of the government. There are policy changes that I think need to go into play in terms of gun control, um, mm-hmm. and also in terms of mental health. Um, but at the level of the individual, because I, I do recognize that uh, my country is, is somewhat locked in terms of being able to do things at the level of the government, um, at the level of the individual, I think we, it is really important that we try to identify these youth um, as early as possible. And I know, you know, as a psychiatrist, I, I definitely do my best to try to identify children who are at risk of violent behavior, as I know all of my colleagues do. Um, but the mental health system is, is fairly broken in this country. And, you know, I, um, in Evaldi, they said that there wasn't even a, a psychiatrist, really, that they could, you know, turn to for counseling after the fact, let alone help the youth uh, that uh, carried out the mass shooting. So and we really need to have, you know, better access and better recognition. Um, and some of that is going to require just more mental health uh, clinicians and, and areas that don't have service currently. Um, but I think, you know, parents also need to be more aware of what their children are doing online. Um, mm-hmm. Teachers, too. I, I don't want to uh, overly burden parents and, and teachers in situations like this, but I don't think that parents and, and teachers always ask what children are doing online. And if they do sometimes, especially if youth is, is starting to go down this rabbit hole, right, of dangerous extremist content, I think there's a there's a fear that, you know, if they tell parents or teachers, they'll get shut down, they'll be shamed. Um, and we know when we shame youth like this, right, youth that already don't have any connection to other people, they're even more likely to sort of push away and separate from others in their communities, which then puts them more at risk for situations like what happened in Nivaldi. Before I, uh, we chat a little bit more about the social media platforms, what's a good age for kids to start using social media 
where they can actually comprehend some of the things that they are going to be inundated with. Uh, is there a, an age that you would recommend or roughly sort of what age group, you know, when, as parents, we should feel comfortable um, kids slowly using social media? You know, I, this may be a bit of a cheat of an answer, but I think it largely depends on the child. Um, I will say, though, you know, uh, most kids before the age of 9 and 10 tend to use digital media more in kind of what we call passive use. So they don't really have as much interest anyway in social media platforms. They tend to just watch videos, um, play games online. It's really not till kind of the later tween years, uh, so like 11, 12, and then teen years, um, where you start to want to engage more and connect more, and that's very normal of adolescent development. And so I would say that really there should be no reason that children should be on social media before that, before that age where they are looking to kind of make social connections, because what we want, right, we want kids to be using social media to strengthen the relationships that they already have with, you know, existing individuals that they know, or alternatively to kind of channel some of their passions and interests um, with people and trusted individuals online. Um, I think, you know, before the age of 10 or 11, I don't think that they are at a developmental stage where they can make good decisions about what they might be doing and encountering on social media. Um, so I would, I frequently tell parents, um, you know, obviously it's their decision as the parents when to allow their children to have access to social media. Um, but if they're going to do, you know, earlier than the, the teen years, and I think even during the teen years, they really need to have um, their kind of finger on the pulse of what their kids are doing and looking at online. We talked a little bit about, well, you know, what parents need to be doing and uh, the impact social media can have on these individuals who are involved in these mass shootings. Is there any accountability we should be demanding from these social media platforms. They have millions and millions of followers, of course, uh, but one could argue that uh, they play such a big role in our lives that there should be some responsibility, some accountability from these large platforms. Uh, I agree. I think that it's really incredibly unfortunate that platforms haven't tried to do more uh, to counter this kind of increase in, in violence and extremism that we're seeing um, I think especially in, in the light of all the misinformation uh, from our last election and the fallout after that. I think you know, it's reasonable that these, these companies say, oh, there's so, many, there's so many platforms, there's so many ways of uh, communicating with others through platforms, and there's so many profiles. You know, how on earth are we supposed to keep track of all potentially dangerous content to flag it? And, you know, I, I admit that this, that specifically is, is not my area of expertise, so I, I, can't, I can't validate the truth of that. Um, but I will say that you know, these social, plat social media platforms need to do a better job even of just helping uh, outreach to others regarding you know, what they should do in the event that they see something that is alarming or frightening on social media or, or that makes them nervous. Um, you know, I think frequently of my hospital system where we have a way to kind of file um, without blame, file a notification if we've seen any sort of situation in the hospital system where we think a patient has been put at danger, um, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally. It's usually unintentionally. Um, and we can, we can flag that. And the best way to get those those notifications to our hospital system is to make it easy for us to do so, to make the process as quick and streamlined as possible. And there is constant notification from the hospital system of the way that we can do that. 
Um, and as far as you know, we've seen on social media, there isn't. There are ways to, to report things, but there's no feedback surrounding you know, reports that do happen. Um, there's no easy way for us to, to quickly say, okay, like this is what I need to do when I see this. This is the kind of information that I should be worried about as a viewer. If I see someone saying this, this is exactly who I need to report it to, and this is an easy way to do so. Um, at, you know, the touch of the button. They, we haven't seen that sort of mobilization that social media platforms could be doing. Um, they have a real opportunity right now to step in and say, hey, it, you know, if you, see, if you see something, say something, and we're going to make that easy for you. Um, and I think it's incredibly unfortunate um, that in, in light of what has happened this last week that we haven't heard more from these companies speaking up about this. Do you think the government needs to step in here and demand greater accountability for society from these platforms? Because it doesn't seem like they're moving at all, or they're baby steps in the grand scheme of things. When you look at so much hate that you still see on social media platforms, um, violent behavior, uh, threats that are there. Uh, it seems like little to nothing is being done and things are actually getting worse in some cases. Uh, do you think there needs to be government intervention in regards to public policy that can bring about some of that change? I do. I mean, I'm definitely mindful of the fact that Certainly, you know, social media uh, isn't to blame entirely for for these shootings. I still hold the gun industry very responsible for that, and I'm, mm-hmm. I know I'm I'm not alone in that um, that opinion. But I do think that as as much as political parties can agree upon holding social media platforms more accountable um, for what they're putting up there and leaving up there for people to see, um, especially in these environments that we know these companies are intending to keep people on these platforms and to keep the attention of people um, to stay on them for as long as possible. If that is their goal, to keep people immersed in this world because it is good for their bottom line and their companies, then they do need to be held accountable. And if that means the government stepping in to, to do so and hold them accountable, then I think by all means that should happen. Uh, as an American, um, when you found out what happened in Texas, what, what went through your mind? You, you study uh, social media, psychiatry, uh, but as an American watching uh, TV or hearing the news or reading uh, about what occurred, what, what immediately went through your mind when you heard? Uh, I, I mean, I was I was absolutely heartbroken. I have two small children who aren't uh, you know, they're, one of them isn't quite old enough to go to school. The other one is in kindergarten. And I just, I, I can I almost couldn't, you know, I could believe it because it just keeps happening and nothing seems to change. Um, but, you know, there's just a, a wave of, of anger and frustration and a feeling of impotence um, that, you know, no matter what I do as a psychiatrist and taking care of my patients, uh, me as an individual, it's never going to be enough, um, which is, know why I felt like at least, you know, writing something and trying to speak out is the best I can do for the time being as an individual um, and trying to make my voice heard. Uh, but it's it's embarrassing, too. I think it's incredibly embarrassing that uh, we're in this country that is putting our children at risk. It's literally putting our future at risk of death when they go to school. And nobody seems to want to do anything about that. Um, well, I, I take that back. There's actually, we know that the majority of the population wants to do something about that, but our political system is such that we aren't able to to make meaningful changes um, to prevent people from getting shot at their at their elementary schools. Um, and so it's it's a lot of those emotions, it's anger and heartbreak, but also feeling that you know we we need to not give in to that sort of complacency and that learned helplessness, and we need to speak up and uh, as much as each individual can do something. All of us have to keep trying and fighting.
You and I are having an adult conversation, a respectful conversation uh, on national radio right now. But sometimes when you look at social media, strangers will attack each other because they disagree. Uh, a part of me, when I lo- you know, look at social media, look at the interaction, I find that social media has lowered... Um, just lowered the empathy that we have for each other. And maybe you disagree and you've studied this, but I think we've just lowered the empathy. We, for some reason, that's not just an American thing, but Canadian thing as well. And I do hold social media accountable for that. Do you see that yourself as in regards to empathy? You know, that that's an excellent question. I, I will say that, you know, that the humans as a species have done remarkably well being incredibly cruel and unempathetic to each other for centuries. Um, so clearly... A lack of empathy is not is not a novel thing. Um, however, I do think that the sheer uh, scope of social media and the way that social media does connect everyone internationally, I think it's far more evident just you know how much how much virulence there can be out there and a lot, how much of a lack of empathy can exist. And I, and I do also want to say that um, you know people that have looked at and researchers that have looked at online extremism. Um, and regardless of kind of where that comes from, the alt-right here in America, um, ISIS, they have you know, found that the more that we engage on, online, um, there can be a risk sometimes of not really realizing the ramifications of what we say and do, right? People become more um, separated from the consequences of their actions. They don't see the people that they're hurting as easily, um, which is why cyberbullying you know, has been connected to higher rates of suicidality than in-person bullying alone. Um, there's this, this way that we can make ourselves almost, um, I don't want to say you know, okay with it, but rather like just we lose the ability and that human ability to see the suffering of other people um, when we're doing it through social media. And I think, you know, for people that are on online extremist sites, I think, you know, they lose the ability to, to see that the, the sort of mindset that they're leaning into um, is absolutely terrifying and enables violence. Um, and I think it is easier and easier for people to fall into that um, when they are in an environment where they're, you know, separated from other viewpoints, where they don't see the people that they're hurting, um, it becomes uh, something that is um, just easier to fall into and, and easier to separate oneself uh, from one's empathy in that, in that situation. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.